Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Lots of games to recap from yesterday. Four, count them, four October baseball playoff games. couple of decisions have made. couple of teams have survived in advance. we got a couple of game fives today. So even though it's a football Friday, folks, we got a lot of baseball coming at you. Big Dog and the coach, two guys at a mic. Thank you so much for joining us. Beautiful mid-October Friday here in the fine city of Chicago. We'll play Beat the Schmoes and more football fun during the show. And... Of course, we will hear the fine musical accolades of producer extraordinaire, Mr. David Olson. A little bit of that teasing music now, and then we'll kick this particular show off and around. Thank you very much. By the way, David Olson, in our uh, discussion of the sordid world of cycling, I forgot to mention the Ed Endum and uh, the, well, semi-humorous by-note, but uh, that Lance Armstrong was one of the speakers today at what they're calling Ideas Week here in Chicago, a three-day condominium, if you will, of uh, unique and creative ideas. Some big speakers coming here. Lance Armstrong is one of the featured speakers he has Bowed out. He will not be in attendance. Put it into our cycling discussion. Let me bring a man who rarely, rarely will bow out of attendance. He will appear at a moment's notice. He is the life of the party, folks, and that's why we have him on the air here. He is the big dog, Joel Radwanski. Big dog, how are you? How is the life of the party? I got to tell you something, Coach. I've been uh, wearing the light, uh, the the Lance Armstrong backpack. Yep. I'm telling you, it's getting me jacked. Okay, everywhere I go, people are like, oh, my God, you're so fast, you're so big. You know what I mean? And then, like, you must be not doing it naturally because you got so much in that backpack, you know. And then it, I get upset. I'm, I'm quit. I have to quit fight the accusations. <laughs> I'm not fighting them anymore. Okay, my oh, backpack boy. is natural. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Big a big cartoon in the editorial section, Chicago Tribune today. A dude wearing a, a huge wristband, and instead of li- live strong, it's got lie strong. Ouch. Yeah, isn't that amazing? He goes Ouch. from, like, the inspiration yeah. for millions of people fighting cancer to now he's, like, the poster child for everything that's wrong in mm. sport. All of his teammates, all the guys we read about, written depositions, fully admitting that they did it themselves and that Lance did it to the Levi Leppenheimers of the world. The Christian Vandeveldes big dub. Very, very depressing. But I guess uh, a lesson moved ahead. Yeah, why don't we just admit that the... The Tour de France, they're all gooped up on Goff, and I could really care. I don't care. I really don't care. It's a sport that is meaningless, let's face it. Okay, it's cool that they ride a bike through France, and it's very pretty and all that stuff, but they've been cheating in that sport for as long as cheating has been available. So, I, I like, like when you tell me that, a, if, you, if you tell me that a, a professional wrestler or a cyclist is on steroids. I'm not shocked. I'm not upset about it. I'm like, yeah, no crap. If you're a professional wrestler, you're on steroids. If you're, uh, if you're a, a cyclist, a professional cyclist that's winning, you're obviously dopey.
cheating or cheating of some side, of some kind because everybody is doing it. And I'm not saying this all right for that. I'm just like I never. I always. I used to used to bother me when you used to do the whole every year stage and stage coverage. I used to. I I just don't consider cycling a sport. This is someone who bicycles everywhere I possibly go. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't I, trust any of those guys. I never have. On behalf of the. Uh bicyclists of uh, the world and the many, many fans, particularly in Europe, where cycling is a very avid and enthusiastic sport, actually, not just the it's cycling, but the spectators. They put their it's also, a, it's also a, a spot where they put their blood in the refrigerator and also to save it and make it stronger for a week later. <laughs> oh, thank you for that analogy. But no, it's a big sport out there. I remember reading the book. I forget who the author was, but I actually read a cycling book took me inside the world. He was the uh, the the team captain. He was the coach of the Lance Armstrong team. Very fascinating book. But it's I was surprised at what a popular spectator sport it is. Big though, but it's huge in Europe. I don't know how much fun you can have waiting, you know, like an hour and then watching the bicyclists fly by you in five minutes, and then that's pretty much it, right? As a spectator. Yeah, you, you see a bike, and the, the way the Tour de France is, it's all set up with curves and everything. Yeah. So you're on a curve, and for like a half a second, you see a bike go past you yeah. at 40 miles an hour, and, and it, you're like, wow, those guys go really fast for being on a bike. And it's not like you can't catch up to them and watch later in the race, right? They're going too fast. Yeah, those guys, they, they literally, if they're on flat surfaces, pedal at 40 miles an hour. That's no joke, Coach, on a flat surface. Wow. So... The only way you can really watch it and enjoy it is if you're at the top of the hill and you can see these guys for like three miles coming up the hill mm-hmm. towards you. Otherwise, really, what other? It's got to be the worst spectator sport ever. Uh, Unless, well, like you just sit around and drink and burn rope while you're waiting for these bikes <laughs> to pass by. <laughs> More importantly, Big Dog, there's an opening with Lance Armstrong dropping out. They do have like an hour and a half session open. At the Chicago's infamous Ideas Week, uh, you know, you could possibly hop over to the McCormick place. You could fill in. If, what? Yeah, you, you make you make fun of me there. No, you make no, fun no, of no, me, no, But what? I actually could. I really I know could that. give a 30-minute speech about how to think differently and not do what everybody else is doing and try was, to make your own niche on this planet. I was going to ask you what would your session be like, but there it is. The, the think out, think if, out, somebody, uh, if, somebody, if you're watching commercials and they say, go do this, Think about what the exact opposite would do. Mm-hmm. And why don't you go do that? Do seriously do what you love to do. I'm much happier now. It's not bad. It's not bad. I think the uh, it's scheduled for one thirty, so show's over eleven. You could pop over to the McCormick place, you know, and you might uh throw your name in the in the hat and get a few people to show up, even if it's by mistake. They're they might show up thinking it's a different session, you'll and capture their attention, big dog. You'd be surprised, Coach. I'm very good at orating in front of a very large crowd. I've done it before, and, I, and I could, I'll be able to do it again, believe yeah. it. I've always been good at the master of ceremony situation. Yes. You're very good at orating in the privacy of your own home, too. Absolutely. Yeah. My oral skills are impeccable. <laughs> Big dog and the coach with you up until 11 o'clock, folks. Dog off yesterday, an award-winning show, Big Dog. We missed you badly. How did uh, before we talk about the baseball games, uh, which are going to be first and foremost, we'll get to football in a little bit. But uh, your day off hopefully was productive, if not somewhat entertaining. Uh, it, it sucked. Yesterday I was supposed to do the tour in Chinatown. So not only could I not do the show, more importantly, I could not go to the groundbreaking of Kerry Wood Stadium, the one that yes. my girlfriend is the architect of, because I had a tour at noon. And at 1030 
uh, my uh, the, the scheduler for my my company basically calls me and was like, "Oh, we're going to have to cancel today." So couldn't you have called me an hour earlier? Wow. I would have been I would have been at LaTeX and I would have been able to get interviews. Coach, I have uh, like an unbelievable camera that I was able to sell that I bought from a, a crack addict. Mm-hmm. And I got a real, really, really good price on it. It's funny is I didn't give him all the money because he didn't give me everything at first. He found all the other accessories with it. Yo, man, yo, man, come on, come on. I got, I got to meet up with you today. I'll get you that solar strap. I'll get you those extra tapes. So I'm going to get the rest of it. So it's just, it's pretty cool. But I would have been there with Tom Ricketts and Kerry Wood and all that. You know, so my girlfriend, I met Kerry Wood. He's a real nice guy. And I'm like, I would have asked him real questions with the camera. So actually, I really would have, Coach. If I would have been there, I would have asked him, do you believe that Dusty Baker and the and the Cubs organization wrecked your arm in 2003 and 2004? Mm-hmm. But now everybody accuses them of doing that, right? Yeah, I, so quite do- frankly, I don't. That might not have gone over well. That probably would not have been the appropriate time to ask that. I wouldn't have asked him right away. I would have broke him in, and, and he would have really realized that I was a diehard Cubs fan, and my uh-huh. questions would have been from the heart. I wouldn't have been. I okay. wouldn't have started out being like, "Hey, remember your first relief appearance? What mm-hmm. what was that?" So. Remember when you got arrested for urinating in the parking lot when you were oh, yeah. when you were twenty one? <laughs> Forgot about you that. You know, I wouldn't have started out with questions like that. It yeah. would have been more <laughs> like, uh, like, why are you doing altruistic things like building stadiums, uh, high school stadiums? Like, he put a lot of money into that. Obviously, the Ricketts family put in significantly more. But when Kerry Woods worth like fifteen million dollars and the Ricketts family's worth fifteen billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I would assume that the Ricketts family should be tabbing the bill, but still to throw in a couple hundred thousand dollars, pretty cool, Coach. You know what I'm saying? To, uh, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, no, not... Nobody's ever questioned the uh, character and the quote-unquote coolness of Kerry Wood, outstanding, uh, outstanding citizen of the city of Chicago. He's been a great, great member of the Cubs both on and off field. But, Big Dog, that sucks when you miss two great opportunities, the – Opening of the Kerry Wood Stadium, the grand ribbon cutting, and your girlfriend was right front and center there, and missing our show, and then you get your event canceled. That that falls under the category of not good. Sorry Three about things. that. Two ways to make money canceled, and then the, also another way to make money, because if I would have filmed that, I could have, you know, it's yep. just good. Now that I have a camera, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of stuff that I've been wanting to do, mm-hmm. and that would have been one of the first ones. To sit down, have a little interview with Kerry Wood, and according to Lily, he would have gave it to me. He was being totally cool to everyone, taking their time and answering interviews and all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, well, tough day yesterday, but we got the big dog back on a beautiful Friday here. Good to have you back on the air. Lots to talk about, though. We got to catch up on a whole bunch of stuff. It is a football Friday, but I hate to tell you, unless you care to disagree, I think we got to start off with baseball because the October. Baseball playoffs, and one of my themes yesterday, dog, was, and you've heard me say it before, because you're a passionate baseball fan, so you don't need to know, but for the middle-range guys like myself, we forget the drama and the emotion and the tension, the intensity of these baseball playoffs as it moves from game one to two to three to four to five. Yesterday's uh, good stuff across the board, really good. Uh, you know I'm a, I'm a huge I appreciate you. Yes, I I didn't miss any of the four games yesterday. I was like, you know what? I was supposed to do this, 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 and this. Kind of sucks today. So at least I'm going to enjoy watching some baseball. So I, I went in, got my workout done by 1.30 as I listened to the to the Giants and the Reds game on the radio. And right when Buster Posey comes up with the bases loaded coach for the Giants, I ran and I watched that bat on the television mm-hmm. at, at East Night Club. 
when I watch it, uh, uh, ball in the dirt. Okay, ball way outside. It's two and zero on Buster Posey. I'm like, they can't come with a strike on this guy. All of a sudden, they threw a pitch up in his eyes, and Buster Posey, two and zero, wanting to be a hero, doesn't have an, has one RBI in the series so far. Swings at a pitch. The next pitch is in the dirt, and I'm like, oh my god, don't throw him a strike. He, he he's lost it. All he, he's like. He's in RBI mode, and he's turned into Sammy Sosa prior to 1998, and he's swinging at everything. And I'm not kidding you, Coach. The next pitch uh, by Matt Latos goes right, the belt high, center cut down the middle of the plate, and Buster Posey, who was swinging at balls in his head and at his feet, hits one. Well, I don't know if it went nine miles, Coach, but it went over the fence. And when three runners are on, that's called a grand slam, and that's the difference in the game. They won 6-3. Uh, you know what? It's pretty cool. You talked about how sometimes you know you forget how good the baseball playoffs is, are. Well, uh, one of uh, one of Obama's biggest contributors, uh, he's a Walgreens, came was came into East Bank yesterday when I had grabbed one of the televisions for myself and I'm watching the baseball game. He said, "Come on, man! I want to watch Ferris Money. Who's the lead on?" I'm like, "Hey, buddy!" I was like, "There's the ninth <laughs> inning of a." Of a, of a game five right here, Mr. Walgreens. <laughs> and I called him that. I called him Mr. Walgreens. Uh-huh. All of a sudden he realized, uh-oh, like, this guy knows who I am. And so I'm like, why don't you just sit down and enjoy some baseball for a minute? He's like, well, this game is over with. I'm not kidding you. By the end of that inning, the ninth inning of the Giants-Reds uh, game where the Giants moved on, he was on his feet screaming, you can't throw Jacobs for strike. <laughs> Keep it on the outside corner. And I was like, I thought you didn't want to watch baseball. The guy just had a laugh at me. And I'm not kidding you. That guy that I basically would not change the channel for uh-huh. is worth over a billion dollars. Not kidding you. He, and he is one of Obama's biggest contributors. And uh, the, one of Romney's contributors ro- reminds him of that every time he sees him. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of funny. I'm, I'm the masters of the universe I'm watching baseball with, and I won't let him watch their their money shows with Melissa Lee. <laughs> you never know who you're going to meet at the East Bank Club. Probably, yeah, no I'm sure Mr. Walgreen is relating the same story, how I met some complete knucklehead who was watching baseball, got me hooked in the game. But that, what a great way to start the afternoon or start the, almost started in the late morning. San Francisco winning uh, six to four. They jump out to the six nothing league. The Buster Posey Grand Slam was like in the fourth or fifth inning. And you yeah, think, inning. you think it's going to be game over, big dog, but to the Reds' credit. I mean, they battled back, and they had tying runs on in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. By the way, you got the score wrong. They scored a run in the ninth. The final was 6-4, to four, so the Reds... Yeah, it was, yeah but it was 6-3 at the beginning of that inning. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah, but they almost pulled it out. A lot of credit to the Reds. Unbelievable suspense in that game. And, uh, and the other unbelievable part of it is, and you and me were dead wrong, because when Cincinnati, who've been playing great at the end of the regular season, beat Frisco twice in San Francisco, we were analyzing all the different series, and we thought the other three were competitive. We said, you know what, Frisco's done. Cincinnati's moving on. Frisco wins three straight at Cincinnati. Unbelievable. Yeah, it, it is unbelievable. And all of a sudden, I guess San Francisco has another chance to be an average team that wins the World Series somehow just because they got a couple un real pitchers. Uh, I really thought Cincinnati had deeper uh, pitching staff than San Francisco, but uh, I guess not because the Reds have much more offense than the Giants, and, and they just lost three games in a row to them. And uh, you know what? Uh, my guy, Timmy Lincecum, has the worst season of his of his career, and game four, he yep. gets the win because, yep. you know, he isn't all PO'd, you know, I'm, I'm a two-time star, young award winner, why aren't I starting in the playoffs? 
where they make him a, rel- a reliever and he pitches at least four and a third innings of one run ball, at least four and a third to win game four, to put them in a situation to win game five with Matt Cain on the mound. So uh, there was a lot of contributions by the Giants over the last three wins in order to steal that series from Cincinnati. In Cincinnati! And, Coach, I just want to let you know, listen, in the, as soon as the game was over, I turned on uh, my uh, at-bat uh, at package on my phone mm-hmm. just to listen to Marty Brenneman whine, and it was <laughs> awesome. Took a little my favorite wine is not Zinfandel, Merlot. It's Marty Brenneman bitching about how everything was everybody's fault but the Reds when the series was done. It was uh, phenomenal. Marty Brenneman, not a favorite in Chicago ever since he started. What was his specific complaint about the Cubs fans? They were, what, they were a few fans threw something on the field one time, and he basically criticized the entire. The whole city of Chicago. Like, if you grew up yep. in Chicago, you're yep. a thug and yep. uh, all the bunch of so was just an idiot. He just, <laughs> basically, people in Chicago don't have like the same values that people in Cincinnati is mm-hmm. basically what he was saying. Yeah, and yeah. that's the only city in the Midwest like that should be embarrassed by their behavior is Chicago. Basically, what he was saying mm-hmm. that they, they they're not part of the Midwest because we have a we have more of an East Coast mentality. Was basically what he was saying, and we're a bunch of thugs who throw garbage on the field. Yeah, Kansas City Chiefs fans, which are great great fans, had to deal with that same thing when I guess a few knuckleheads booed. Or no, I'm sorry, cheered when their struggling quarterback Matt Cassell got a concussion, and they, you know everybody starts criticizing the Kansas City fan. The owner had to come out and defend, rightfully so. No, yeah. 95% of our fans are great. Those were just a few drunk knuckleheads that were cheering. Yeah, I was, the owner needed to say something like Absolutely. that. That was the first thing I said to you on the Monday. Remember, and I was like, I'm yep. glad the owner came out. And, and back to Marty Brenneman, uh, just just to let you know uh, why there's no incidents other than with the Reds, just to let you know, there's no incidents that happen in Cincinnati because you don't have a basketball team, you don't have a hockey team, and your first sellout for your football team that was this past weekend for the first time in like 10 years. So obviously you don't have fan incidents at your parks. <laughs> Big Dog firing some salvos at our good friends up in the uh, Cincinnati area. Don't Don't blame the entire... City of Cincinnati and the fine folks that live there just because of Marty Brenneman. Although, no, David Olson. No, I won't. I'll, I'll blame people like Joey Votto, who didn't have an extra base hit or an RBI yeah. during this series. Oh, and by the way, remember Joey Votto wouldn't shake Marlon Bird's head after he made that phenomenal catch in the 2010 All-Star Game and smart play by doubling somebody off. He said, I won't shake hands with a Cub. That's, I will, I'll never do that. That's right. I forgot oh, about, I for, forgot yeah, about yeah, that, so. too. Joey Votto was, was the best hitter, correct me if I'm wrong, Till he got injured, he was probably the best overall hitter the first half of the season. He was never the same when he came back. Let, let, let's just let's just say this straight up right now. Joey Votto is the Barry Bonds of nowadays baseball. One of the best hitters in the game during the regular season, and when the postseason starts, he sucks. Before Barry Bonds started taking steroids, like prior to the 2000 season, look at his postseason uh, stats, coach. They're abysmal. They're even worse than Joey Votto's. He hits like 100 and has an RBI, like one a series. All of a sudden, he starts taking the the man ram juice, and he's you know he's he's deep into the postseason like he was. But yeah, yeah, Joey Votto. You know, he's one of those cocky guys. Uh-huh. Thinks he's better than everybody. Totally arrogant. Well, guess what? You can't be arrogant during the playoffs because you went another series. This isn't the first time he's been shut out with extra base hits and RBIs in the postseason. And by the way, yeah, Marty Brenneman. And many excuses. Oh, Joey Votto played so poorly because he's got a bad knee. 
well, he's been back in the lineup for six weeks. He's been six weeks since the knee surgery. It's no longer an excuse because he's a weak and bad. Joey Vado. Big dog on his game today, ladies and gentlemen. You want to join the conversation? We are more than happy to converse with you in a conversational type of way. 888-463-6748. The phone number, 888 little baseball action, and then we'll get to our football preview, play Beat the Schmoes, etc. Here on a football Friday on the Two Guys in a Mike Show. Game two yesterday, big dog. Washington Nationals, St. Louis Cardinals. The Nationals even it up. Jason, unbelievable pitching in this game, by the way. Just a tremendous, yeah. tremendous pitching. Yeah. And uh, they win it on a Jason Worth homer. The Nationals do. They force a game five today. But great, great pitching for both teams. Uh, I, I don't know who the, the Washington Nationals play-by-play and color guy are on the radio. But they're really good. And I've been listening to them as opposed to Mike Shannon and the other doofus that they have for St. Louis. That Whatever, uh, K, we hate Chicago. Whatever the, the initials are on, on the... No, it's K-F-C-H-I. Isn't that what it is? Not sure. Okay. Uh, but uh, I was listening. They called the Jason Worth at bat when he hit the home run. By the way, it was a 13-pitch at bat, yep. and he fouled off eight consecutive pitches. The greatest at bat in the history of the national oh, franchise. Don't, okay, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say like in playoff history because just they as a, as a sidelight, big dog, done? as a quick sidelight, my tape ran out. After the eighth pitch. <laughs> I taped the games like at 12 o'clock when, uh, I, when I left for the radio show. I went 12 up until 6. I'll be home by – it's a long story. But bottom line is I went to – you know, I'm watching the entire game, fast-forwarding through a bunch of stuff. During the Jason Worth at bat, the tape runs out. I quickly switch to the live, and I see him recapping a 2-1 to victory worth, in parentheses, worth home run to win the game. Are you like, are you kidding me? Anyhow, continue with your story. Yeah, well, yeah, it was just, it was, uh, they called it the greatest at bat in the history of the Nationals. I, like, I don't know, but it sounded pretty cool because he was taking pitches that were right off the strike zone for balls and everything that, every pitch that he swung at supposedly was a strike. And he kept falling them off all, all these pitcher pitches. And all of a sudden, the, uh, was it Stripchinski got one inside and worked turning around and, and, and hit a home run. To, and, uh, just to let you know, uh, the, the Nationals announcer, Ripped one from the St. Louis Cardinals. This is awesome. As soon as Jason Worth hit the home run, he yelled, and we will see you tomorrow night. <laughs> and I just thought, I was like, how many people in the world actually get that he was just putting one in the face of the Cardinals by uh-huh. saying that? You know what I mean? It's a respectful put in the face. Is that a, that's, a ja- that's a Jack Buck, right? Yeah, Jack Buck said yep. that when uh, Kirby Puckett hit the double uh, to win game six of the 1991 World Series. Mm-hmm. Jack Buck was the announcer, and he just yelled, we will see you tomorrow night. And last year, David Freeze hit a walk-off home run for the Cardinals in the NLCS to extend the NLCS last year. Oh, no, excuse me, the World Series. Excuse yeah. me, it was the World Series against the Rangers. And David Freeze, when he, when he hit that, Joe Buck said, we'll see you tomorrow night. So it was just funny to hear a Washington Nationals guy be like, say it about the Cardinals, so I thought that was uh, Interesting. definitely a nice little touch. Interesting. Big Dog, listen, do a little radio action, too. By the way, Game 5 today, how's this for a pitching matchup? The Cardinals, the defending champions, let us not forget. Adam Wainwright, Washington Nationals, throwing a Cy Young candidate, Gio Gonzalez. What a pitching matchup for Game 5, Big Dog. You, you know, uh, 
the National League has a lot of contenders for the for the Cy Young Award, but Gio Gonzalez should be the winner, Coach. Ex-White Sox, right? Ex-White Sox, ex-Philly, Dodger. ex-A's. Dodger? Is he an ex-Dodger, too? He might be, but that guy was traded so many times, and eventually the Nationals got a hold of him, and at that point they had no pitching depth. They had to hold on to him, and then they let the guy pitch for like a year, and they were like, oh, my God, he's good. Now Gio Gonzalez is a bona fide number one starter in the major league. Mm-hmm. And the, the Nationals have three of them, and Jordan Zimmerman, Gio Gonzalez, and, and Steven Strasburg. The Nationals are set up for years to come, Coach. Don't forget, half their team got injured this year. Seriously, like every, like almost everyone on their team besides Gio Gonzalez and uh, and one other player spent time on the disabled list. Otherwise, Ryan Zimmerman, Ian Desmond, Danny Espinosa, Willie Ramos, uh, Steven Strasburg all spent time. Drew Storen, Tyler Clifford, they all had time on the DL this year. Yet they won the most games in the National League, mm-hmm. and they lost like a ridiculous amount. So I don't know how many times us as Cubs fans have been like, "Oh, all these injuries cost us the season." I always say, "Well, the guys that are replaced are wearing Major League uniforms. They should play like Major League players." Yep. Well, they never seem Apparently, to do it for the Cubs. Yeah, I was going to say that message did not <laughs> did not hit this year in particular. This year's Chicago Cub team in Las Vegas. If you're listening, I think the big dog has just installed the Washington Nationals as your. Uh, Preseason favorite for the 2013 season in the National League. I know it's it's easy because they're young and they had right. the best record this year to call it. But think about it; they had a very, very they faced adversity all season long. Yeah, no, and they I'm, won 98 games. I'm with you. I, I would think uh, when the Vegas odds come out, this may be a bold statement. I think they'll be ahead of the Yankees with Strasburg. Wow, be ahead of the Yankees because the Yankees just get so many dumb. So much dumb money on them every year. Yeah. Well, they're yeah, aging like, a little bit, too. Definitely aging. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think the National, I mean, it's a long way away, and that's not the first and foremost point of conversation right now, but they could be your favorite to uh, win it all. Before, by the way, before I move to game three of the day, uh, I've got a favorite young player watching these games. I've fallen in love with this guy. I think he's just going to be a flat-out star. Think of uh, young position players, big dog. Tigers, A's, keep it to the American League, Yankees, Orioles. Any one of those four have a guy that, man, this kid is a player. Uh, well, out of the four, yes, they they definitely, all of them do. But Adam, Young guy. Jones, Adam Jones is probably the guy you're talking about nope. of the Orioles. No, nope. he's almost too established. Adam, how many years has he been in the league? Yeah, that's true. This is like his fifth year, but nobody seems to know about him besides me. I'm not kidding. Like, he's yeah. like the Andrew McCutcheon light is what uh, – like Andrew McCutcheon had the breakout year this year, and like Adam Jones is like that. Yeah, Adam uh, Jones. Uh, what about? Looks like he's about six three, six four, tall, drink of water. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good young. Think, think Adam Jones's team though. Oh, Manny Machado. Love him. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I want to tell you something. Coach. I didn't know who Manny Machado was three months ago. I had no idea who the kid was. I didn't know who he was a week ago. And. That guy, you know, he's one of those guys that are like those, he's like Bryce Harper, like everybody was talking about, this is a can't-miss kid and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so he, see, I know nothing about him. He had a big rep coming in? You don't realize he's 20 years old, Coach? When you say young, I don't think you read, he's 20 years old. I was going to ask you because I don't know anything about him. I know he's a fairly new player, and I know just watching him, he walks the walk. 
He's got the feel for the game in the field at bat. I mean, just watching a couple of games. And that's the one new young player I said, this kid is going to be a star, and I love the way he carries himself. Now, this is the season of the future incredible stud phenom. It is. uh, Bryce Harper, the the biggest one of all, Mike Trout. Oh, my God. I've heard about Mike Trout for three years. That's all I heard. Mike Trout, Mike Trout, like, yeah, whatever. All of a sudden he comes up, I'm like, he's freaking Mickey Mantle, okay? I'm not kidding. The guy, Mike Trout is Mickey Mantle, the 2012 version, right-handed batting, not a switch hitter version of Mickey Mantle. If, if it wasn't for Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, Manny Machado would be a household name for everybody right now because he is also a can't miss. This guy's unbelievable. Put him in the lineup. Well, Everybody in Washington and the, the Maryland area is talking about Bryce Harper being the young stud because he's 19. Manny Machado is 20 years old, just as good as Bryce Harper, and he plays third base. He's an infielder with a, with a great glove. And let's face it, who's hitting the postseason? Harper hasn't, and uh, Machado has, and Trout isn't even in the postseason. Is he so. a, a rookie? Oh, yeah, Coach A's rookie. He's, he's... He, came up, he came up about two and a half months ago. Wow. Uh, do you remember when, um, who was the first baseman for the, okay, Nick Markakis got hurt. Okay, so Manny Machado was up and down. But in, in early September, Nick Markakis gets hurt. So they move Chris Davis to the outfield. They move Mark Reynolds to first base. And all of a sudden, Mark Reynolds, who's the, had about 9 million throwing errors the last four years at third base, is now a first baseman, and he's playing. Ask the Yankees if Mark Reynolds can pick it at first base. My God, has he played awesome defensively. And Manny Machado, they're super stud, like they're Andrew Jones, Mike Trout type. Like, he's our top prospect, and our season's so good. Forget about arbitration. Forget about all the money. we got to play the kid. And they put him in there, and they're like, oh, my God, he's our best hitter right now. So that the Manny Machado story has been excellent, Coach, and I'm glad you pointed it out because with so many great young players, he's been forgotten this year. Okay. I'm glad you gave me a little background on him because that's the one player I've uh, really enjoyed watching, and I enjoyed watching the Baltimore Orioles-Yankees game yesterday. We mentioned good pitching in the Nationals and St. Louis game yesterday, Doug. Orioles and Yankees go 12 innings, one-to-one. The starters were outstanding. The bullpen guys outstanding. And remember, they're under intense pressure in a one-to-one game four playoff game. The pitchers just were phenomenal. Finally, the Baltimore. The Orioles, J.J. Hardy yanks one over the outfielder's head, and the Orioles force a game five big dog tonight. Actually, this afternoon, 407 tip-off. Yeah, and I, I'm definitely going to be watching that game, Coach. And then we have another game five. Uh, what time is that? Is that a 7 o'clock game or a noon game? No, 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 What's 7 that? o'clock. Okay, so I'm going to try to – anytime you can get decisive games in baseball, you you, you got to watch them. Uh, Coach, I – I kept bringing up Jimmy Johnson all baseball season. Remember all baseball season? I'm like, you know, this guy's yep. the MVP. Nobody talks about the Orioles keep beating people three to two when he goes out there, gets one run, stays off. Well, he lost game one because he gave up five runs in the top of the ninth and they lose. And you can blame him for that. Comes back games two, gets to save in a one run game. You know what? That's, that's, you're a man when you can give up five runs to the Yankees, come back and get them out the next game. The next game he pitches, he gets one pitch in the center of the strike zone, but it's low on the bottom of it, and Raul Banez hits a home run off it. And then he comes back and pitches another inning after that. So he blows the save, but doesn't blow the game for the Orioles. Yep. Okay. And then now, so yesterday he comes into the game, 
and I was listening to the Yankees broadcast at the time. They're like, oh, we own this guy. He's got to be mentally shaken, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, mentally shaken? He came out one, two, three, game over. Yeah, by the way, the one, two, three was uh, Mark Teixeira. Uh, help Robinson me out here. Cano. Robinson Cano, and then they brought a pinch hitter in. Again, for a- no, no, no. It was Eric Chavez batting for oh, Alex right. Rodriguez. That's right. You're exactly right. It was yeah. Eric Chavez. Yeah. I like what the announcer said about Jim Johnson, too, the color guy, that, uh, you know, he's a power pitcher, but he's not just a power pitcher. Big, strong guy who throws heat, but he also change up, curves, works the corner, that dangerous combination of power, but he's also a very smart mental pitcher with a lot of different tricks. You know what? He actually pitches to contact. Mm-hmm. Most closers don't do that. He he only strikes out like six batters per nine innings. And for a guy that wins, saves 40 games, that's a really, really low strikeout per nine inning ratio. David, my Pony League coach uh, said that I was able to pitch to contact extremely well. Unbelievably well. I was able to find contact. So if that's what it takes, big dog, I probably should have up, stepped up the ladder pitching to contact. I gotta tell you, you get you get seven gold glove guys behind you. You can pitch the contact. Yeah, coach. you're right about that. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. Now you bring up an interesting story though, because you just mentioned Jim Johnson four games in a row, and yeah, we've had go- two consecutive twelve inning games. So the interesting part of the game five today is you've got dead tired pitching staffs. Yes. So how the managers, you know, and you know, it's a game five, so you want your starter to go, but you also got to have a short leash. How they manage. Their pitching staff is going to be interesting to watch, dog. Yeah, and it, you know what? Uh, people sometimes complain about the leagues, like, "Oh, I, I hate the American League because the DH bats and it takes away from the game planning." It's, "I hate the National League because the uh, pitchers are automatic out," or they love it either way. They, they love it because of the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on with that? Well, it it makes it a little bit easier for an American League manager when everybody's dead could not pinch hit for pitchers like in the sixth or seventh when they're doing okay because they're trying to take advantage of an opportunity on the mm-hmm. uh, on the basis. Okay, you know you can go a little deeper in the American League because without the pinch hitter. So uh, who's starting tonight? It's DC Sabathia, who I'm assuming will try to go nine innings. He was one. He was one out away last time from a nine inning game. And for the Orioles, is it also their game one starter? Hamill. Cole Hamill? No. Uh, no, 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 no. That's Josh Hamill. Josh Hamill. And Josh Hamill is a former Colorado Rocky, and this is his first two, three months of this season. His he was as good as any pitcher in baseball, Lance Lynn included. He had one of the hottest starts of any baseball pitcher this this season. Then he cooled off dramatically. So you're going with the guy that has had a good year, but that good year was at the beginning of the season and not at the end. So. Pitching matchup dramatically, dramatically goes to the Yankees in this. Now, uh, obviously, the, the Nationals and the Cardinals also are, are, are playing a game five today. And I, I want to ask you something, this coach. Kyle Loesch cruising, pitching great at this point. It's the top of the seventh. It's one out, a 1-1 game, runner at second, and Kyle Loesch comes to bat. And Matheny didn't pitch it for him. I guess assuming that... His bullpen was dead, and yep. Kyle Loesch was cruising. Going back now, that was like the play of the game. Kyle Loesch strikes out. The next guy makes an out, inning over, and the Cardinals still have one run. Tough call. 
It, it, it is a tough call. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to see how the game was progressing, how Kyle Loesch was pitching, but uh, he was pitching great. He yeah. was. He was. There's no doubt. He was. He, he he didn't give up another run after that. And I mean, he hadn't he thrown that many pitches with, with nobody out. It's an easy call. You let him hit with two outs. It's an easy call. You let him hit, right? Yeah. But with one out, not such an easy call. Interesting. Seventh inning, you said. It was uh, it was the top of the seventh. Okay. So he had given six ridiculously strong innings to the Cards at this point. Uh-huh. And keeping them in didn't hurt him, obviously, because he pitched two more uh, shutout innings. So, you know what I mean? It, it was it wasn't like they didn't pitch it for him in the bottom of the sixth. He came or the bottom of the seventh. He gave up a bunch of runs. That wasn't what happened. He, you know, so. That's, so uh, at, at this point, though, the Baltimore Orioles, New York Yankee managers, Girardi and. Uh... Showalter, they basically are going to have to. They got to put tired arms in the game, right? Even if you're tired, I mean, they if, Jim, if they got the lead, Jim Johnson's going to come in for the fifth consecutive day and try to close it down. Darren O'Day, the rest of them, they're all tired. But you, you got to pitch him, right? In game five, yeah, yeah. And and you know what? It it always seems maybe I'm wrong about this, but it, I've always noticed that we always you and I talk about wow, look at all these tired arms in the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, those tired arms pitch just as effectively as they have all season. It has to have something to do with just the adrenaline rush. Just like being a guy like, all right, I'm totally exhausted. All I got to do is get through this one inning and our season will continue. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? I think the adrenaline for these pitchers really has to take over because I, I, I don't know how this, I don't know how Jimmy Johnson pitched for the fourth consecutive day yesterday, dominated that inning that he pitched, considering he pitched two innings the day before, and that's the fourth consecutive yeah. game he's pitched. Well, he may have to do it for a fifth consecutive day. Moving quickly along, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time. Uh, just two comments. One, and the Oakland A's lose to Detroit 6 to nothing. Phenomenal season for Oakland. Their comeback in Game 4 I think will be remembered for a long time, but it did come to an end. And the only other thing you can say about the game yesterday, Big Dog, is uh, two words. Justin? Verlander, period, end quote. Uh, Coach, did he did he pitch the ninth inning? Not sure. Okay, because uh, I was listening to that game as soon as the, the Yankees and Orioles were over, and as soon as I put it on, they were like, all right, Verlander goes out for the eighth with a 6 nothing lead, and I just turned the radio. I'm amazed to There's no <laughs> way the eighth are coming back on Verlander down six. So I was just wondering, when you told me it was 6 nothing, I just want to know if he actually got the shutout. You know, it was Verlander who had a good season. And for for him, it was like an average season. You know, he had a great season for anybody else. But it's funny how, like, he wasn't like the dominant Verlander like he's been in the past for of the whole season. As soon as the playoffs started, bam. He's – what the only run he gave up was a leadoff home run to Coco Chris in the first game, and he hasn't allowed a run since, mm-hmm. which is at least 18, maybe 16 innings in a row of shutout baseball. Like, I, I don't know if he pitched the ninth last night, so – and keep in mind, he was pitching against an Oakland team who had just had a stirring comeback to win. The bats were hot. The pressure was on Detroit. Oakland had the momentum. The crowd was all behind Oakland. You thought maybe with that big comeback, Big Doe, that Oakland was just going to roll in Game 5. But again, uh, shut down, quieted, hushed up by uh, one Justin Verlander. Yeah, you know, I, I know Fox Sports or whoever, or TNT, whoever has the, the, the ALCS is happy Detroit is in the ALCS because they have a lot more name brand stuff and it's a lot easier for sell them on television because uh, of the Cabreras and the Prince Fielders and the Verlanders. I'm telling you, even though they're not known, Cepeda, Josh Reddick, Josh Donaldson, those kids can hit, Coach. 
the A's are, you know, we just talked about the Nationals and how loaded they are with young players and, you know, and unlike the A's, they get a lot of attendance and, and, and they, they might be able to keep these guys. The A's had nothing but rookie pitchers in their rotation since Brandon McCarthy got hit in the head with the line drive. Mm-hmm. And their whole lineup is all like first, second, and third year players. So the A's, like the Nationals coach, they are to be heard from again and very soon. Mm-hmm. Nice to see some non-big budget teams having success too. Baltimore, Oakland is the Washington Nationals. Do they qualify as a lower budget team or and when you give Jason Worth one hundred and twenty-six yeah, right. million dollars? When you give Adam Dunn, don't forget Adam Dunn signed a seventy-two million dollar deal with the Nationals a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. The Nationals are in the midst of. You know what they are? They're a mid-range team, but when they get their paychecks from the Cubs and the Rangers and the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox, because those teams are now forced to redistribute their profits, mm-hmm. Padres put it right in their pocket, and teams like the Nationals go out and spend it, which was Bud Selig's objective for those the owners to actually spend the money, not pocket like so many of these small market teams have so far, mm-hmm. these owners. So right. uh, it's the Nationals are doing it right, Coach. All right, two games to watch tonight. Monday we'll be talking about the uh, championship series. We'll find out who the final eight teams are, but it's been a, uh outstanding first week of playoff baseball. Hopefully we'll get more of that big dog and a coach with you right up until 11 o'clock here, Football Friday. we got to make our Beat the Schmoes football predictions. Dog, it's always a little weird uh, on a weekend when we don't have Chicago Bear football. It's kind of a little bit of a void, but nevertheless, some decent games over the weekend, college and pro. Any in particular got you uh, overly excited? Yeah, and all the games that I'm actually gonna that I'm actually picking are the ones that I, I am now back. I watched college football last week, and uh, I am now back. I'll, I'll pick all the biggest games on the schedule. I will no longer pick Central Florida versus Louisiana Tech. I just did that because I was mm-hmm. mad that I couldn't watch any college football. Okay, you were you were making a point. Yes. By the way, under the category of trap game, would West Virginia at Texas Tech fall into that category? Yeah, it definitely would be a trap game. West Virginia is a four-point favorite, and I want to take West Virginia so bad, but I, I'm, I, I don't know how many games of intense opponents can you get in a row with a bad defense. West Virginia has a bad defense. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So does Texas Tech. That over-under is 78 in that game, and I'd, I'd have to pound that over because I don't know how both teams don't score at least 40 points. By the way, Geno Smith, the uh, guy that we've been talking about, not just us, but just about everybody else too, the odds-on favorite halfway through the season to win the Heisman. Among his many attributes, Big Doe, we talked about his yardage gain and touchdowns thrown and percentage, which is like ridiculous, 80%. To add to it, zero. Zero interceptions on the season. Yeah, it, it, think about how incredible that is. It's not just Geno Smith, and obviously he's always going to get the credit for not throwing interceptions, but that means that his offensive line has protected him and hasn't had a linebacker come free and hit him in the ribs right when he was throwing the ball and had the ball go in a different direction that he wanted it to. He hasn't had receivers, had his hands on the ball, deflect off, bounce into a receiver's hand. You know, like when people were ripping Tony Romo after the Bears put a foot in their butt, I'm like, did anybody realize four of the interceptions were either tipped or dropped by a Dallas Cowboy of the five? 
You know what I mean? It's not Tony Romo's fault that he threw a ball perfectly to Miles Austin. It bounces off of his hands and, and then made her right in, intercept. I mean, mm-hmm. is that really Tony Romo? Geno Smith hasn't even had one of those yet this year, Coach. How are you? So, yes, without question, tip your hat to Geno Smith, but also acknowledge the receivers and offensive line for doing their job and not creating turnovers. The Red River Shootout, Oklahoma and Texas. We talked during the week on Stanford, Notre Dame. Great, great ball game. South Carolina at LSU. We forgot one of the great traditions in all of sport. One of the marquee matchups in college football, Big Dog. The Red River Shootout. Your favorite memory from the Red River Shootout. Uh, my favorite memory of the Red River Shootout is the fact that I pick this game every single year on Beat the Schmoes and I never lose it. Oh. As a hint, is it in this year's Beat the Schmoes? Yeah, well, that, yeah, obviously it's in this year. This is a freaking gimme game, Coach. Really? This is a lot. What, before you tell me who you're picking, what's the sp- uh, it's a neutral site. What yeah. is the spread? I'm going to get, don't tell me, I'm going to guess, oh boy, Oklahoma four? Oklahoma three. And it's a lock, huh? I'm, I'm going to predict that you are, in fact, taking Oklahoma. I am taking Oklahoma. Yep. Texas forgot that there's a, uh, a couple things that you have to do fundamentally sound in football, and one of those things is tackle. And uh, I know West Virginia's got a great offense, and they spread people up. I've watched Texas this year, Coach. I've watched two Texas games, and they don't tackle anybody. And perennially, everybody can talk about how great this rivalry is. The game always sucks, and it's always a blow. It's the Red River <laughs> blowout is what it should be called. Seriously, when well, last time this game was good? Of late. Of late, you're right. The last, the, the last 10 years. Yeah. It so used to be. I, 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 Oklahoma's going to win this game like 45 to, to 20. Watch, it's going to be that bad. 45 to 20. I remember they used to play this at least some of the time on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and I remember watching, boy, I, you know, Thanksgiving was from they, age. They never played this game on Thanksgiving weekend. No. Oklahoma. Nebraska, that who I'm thinking Nebraska of? Nebraska every okay. single Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving, the day after the Friday yeah. of Texas has played Texas A&M. Since 1900, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I was gonna say I'm going back to like the mid 70s here when I used to watch them during our. Yeah, you camp. just got you got the Texas Texas A&M game confused, yeah. don't you? No, 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 no. It's it's Nebraska. It was definitely an Oklahoma playing. Okay, okay. Ne- Nebraska yeah. played Oklahoma Those, the day yeah. after Thanksgiving or the day yeah. of Thanksgiving yeah. for. The 70s, 80s, early 90s until the Big 12 was broke up. Those were some the of the greatest, some of the greatest college football games I ever saw. Oh, Johnny, yeah. who was the uh, Johnny Rogers for Nebraska? Mm-hmm. Woo, there, Jerry. there were so many different great uh, yep. games and matchups. And yep. All right, let's. Uh, as long as we're on a beat the schmoes football Friday, we make three picks. Other shows play beat the pros. We here in the two guys at a mic show like to call our predictions beat the schmoes. I'm a proud schmo. 12 years in standing, Big Doug, and so are you. Uh, you already got one down on the docket. Oklahoma over Texas. Give up the three. Your other two games for Beat the Schmoes, ladies and gentlemen. Joel, the Big Dog, Radwanski. Uh, one of them is uh, flying under the radar, uh, but Florida goes to Vanderbilt as anywhere from an eight-and-a-half to nine-point favorite. I will take Vanderbilt plus the eight-and-a-half. Wow. What a shocking upset Vanderbilt beat Florida this weekend. Vanderbilt is good. They beat Missouri, I want to say, last week? I think two weeks ago, Coach. Two weeks ago at Missouri. I saw them play early in the year against Northwestern, and it's 
Uh, well, Steve Spurrier summed it up the best when they played him the first game of the season. He said they don't have those slow guys anymore. <laughs> yeah, Vanderbilt can play. That new coach has got him. He's a brand new coach, second year. Yeah, third, second or third year. Yeah, he's. Yeah. I, I like the guy's uh, intensity. The Vanderbilt coach. Yeah. All right, game three, big upset. How about that, Vanderbilt over Florida, taking the eight points. Yes, eight and a half. Uh, I need. I might need that hook. <laughs> and uh, the last game. This is the biggest game of the weekend. And last, I should have picked South. I actually thought about taking South Carolina against Georgia. Uh, and I, and I, I was smart enough and took Florida against LSU. This is the worst LSU offense in the history of the program. They cannot score, Coach. It's embarrassing. And South Carolina has right now one of the top five defensive lines I've ever seen in the history of college football. I'm, wow. I'm comparing this to Miami offensive defensive lines of the 1990s. I'm comparing this against LSU's defensive line from 2007, which is the best one I've ever seen. This defensive line for the South Carolina has the number one sophomore in the country in David Clowney. And they also have, remember Shelton Quarles from, uh, from the Tampa Bay, uh, Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl. His little brother, and I really can't call him little because he's 320. And they got this dude from Africa named, uh, Gervino. He's 336 pounds coach without a neck. He looks like a freaking Hyundai out on the field, just mauling people. And by the way, that's not even their playmaker because that kid David Brown on the end is the best player they have on their defensive line. Uh, that game is LSU is going to get pants this week. <laughs> LSU is a three-point favorite, okay. and they're going to lose twenty-four to three in wow. this game. Wow! Big dog taking South Carolina to continue the role. That would be impressive if they beat Georgia and LSU back to back. That's about as good as you can do in college football. Yeah, I'll be done with all my predictions so you and David can get to some winning picks. But I'm going to tell you this. LSU is the hardest place in the country to go into and win. Yep. That, that Death Valley is incredible, especially at night. They never lose there. So this is a huge upset that I'm actually taking people when I when I say this. But do you know how you shut up a crowd base? You punch their quarterback in the mouth, and then you run the ball down their throat. They got a defensive line, and they got Marcus Lattimore. That's the recipe to shut up uh, 105,000 screaming inbred uh, Louisiana. <laughs> oh, big dog on his game. We may have to give him a day off more often, David Olson, if this is the the kind of uh, repertoire that we get from the big dog. Very nicely put. David, you want to go uh, second or third today? Uh, I'll go second. Give me a sec here to pull up the points. Ladies break. and gentlemen, David Olson, who is leading in our Beat the Schmoes ticks against... The point spread, he is 6, 8, 9, 12, 13 and 5. Highly impressive through six weeks of the season. Very good. All right, here we go. All right, uh, game number one, uh, Minnesota. Uh, the Vikings and the Redskins. Yeah, the uh, Viking, or the Vikings are a two-point dog, at, or a two-and-a-half-point dog at the Redskins. I like Minnesota in that one. Uh, Philadelphia is Detroit. Good yeah, ball game. Yeah, favored by three and a half at Detroit. Very good game at Philly. At Philly, I think this is going to be the week the Eagles break out. The Eagles. The Eagles. I thought yeah. you were going to say Lions. No, no, no. I, okay. I, I have no confidence in the Lions doing anything this year. You know so, that, that Michael Vick uh, adopted a, a stray dog recently. Yeah, he named it Fumbo. <laughs> 
All right, and then uh, game number three, New England uh, is favored by three and a half at Seattle. Uh, I like New England on that one. Wow. David Olson's going to be very happy when I make my picks. So you got New England on that one. All right. I do. Seattle's got a terrific, terrific defense, but I don't think Seattle can score enough points to beat New England. All right. Seattle has the best defensive backfield in football, Coach. They do. Yeah. Their corners, their safeties, they're the best in all of football. Yeah, well, it's the great offense against the great defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Seattle's got the second-best defense in the league. All right, well, David's going to be very happy with me because I went against you in two of the three games, David Olson. New England and Seattle. At Seattle, I'm a believer in P.D. Carroll and company. I think the defense comes through and brings the New England Patriots back to earth. The Seahawks on a roll with the victory. They're getting some points, aren't they? What do we get? Three, four points? Three and a half. half. Three and a half. I'll take those three and a half. Thank you very much. Vikings at the Redskins, big dog. To me, this is an easy one. The Minnesota train is not going to derail. They're going to have a good season. Leslie Frazier, one of my favorite guys. Glad to see he's having success. They come back to earth a little bit, and the Redskins are going to smoke the Vikings. This is going to be like a 34-10 to game, breakout game for Washington. RG3 uh, back playing. He's been okayed by the doctors. I'm picking the Redskins over the Vikings. So, David, you'll be happy to know I disagree with you on two out of three picks. And finally, the uh, Colts and the Jets. Nice win by Indianapolis. Emotional win. I probably shouldn't do it because I bet against them last week, dog. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to pick the Jets in a pride game, in a bounce-back game. The Jets at home. Only giving up three against Indy. Got to take the Jets. You know, you know, Coach, uh, I'm going to have to go with you on the uh... – yeah, no, I, I would be worried about pride games and stuff. And all, but that happens a lot in the NFL. But if you bet against a team that looked great the week before and bet on the team that looked horrible the week before, you'll win a lot more money than you would suspect because yeah. the NFL has a way of evening each other out. So sad, you, pa- you might, yes. sad passing away yesterday. We need to mention uh, we had sports writer Bill Jouse and Alex Karras a couple of days ago yesterday. Bino Cook, big dog. A man who I know you enjoyed listening to over the years in college football, Bino Cook, passing away at the age of I'm not sure. You know, uh, Bino Cook, is, I think you, you just—it's like stones in uh, in England. You count him by decades. He was at least ten decades. Okay, I don't know if you go by years with with Bino Cook anymore. And Bino Cook was a guy that was like a parody of himself during the last ten to twenty years of his of his life, but. He was a guy that loved college football so much and knew so much about it that I absolutely loved the guy, and I'm not going to sit there and ridicule him. But I, w- I wish you could have seen me making these these picks because, uh, you know, I do the show at Lily the Lilac's home, okay? And Mama Lilac and Papa Lilac, are, are they're getting ready to go to their uh, to work. They own a, uh, a Chinese restaurant on Michigan mm-hmm. Avenue. And uh, let's, put it, let's put it this way. Mama Lilac plays my game is the best way to put it. And now that I'm 3-0 and last week, she's writing down everything that I said. And when I yelled fumble, Papa Lilac came running from the back of the house into the front. He was ready to go. Okay. I'm getting, you never, you would never expect, like, you know, a Chinese family to love football. But uh-huh. really, the Lilac, she's, she loves football now. And, and now that Mama Wu knows that I could, uh, Mama Lilac knows that I can bet on the game. She's all into it also. Yeah, by I'm way. sure Roger Goodell is thrilled. The courtesy of the big dog, we've acquired two. More fans of the uh, game of the National Football League, and they're and they're Chinese, and there's 1.2 billion more where they come from. So there's a <laughs> lot of NFL fans that, that could be had. Okay, coach, oh, I'm doing goodness. my best. To, hey, to by the way, gap. by the way, I believe 12 o'clock tonight at midnight, Big Dog. 
The clocks don't change, but do you know what happens? I don't know. I believe the leather round ball will be bouncing. I could be wrong, but I think it's Midnight Madness. I think college basketball teams can officially start practicing. No, no, I think I think you're right because they always make it a Friday, Saturday deal now yep. so all these college kids can go and they can have like Tom Izzo riding on a pony or a magic carpet or wherever the heck he rides <laughs> into the into the, the season on. Yeah. So, yeah, it should be, uh, it should be excellent. All right, so lost, uh, not to forget, in all the baseball and football over the weekend, let us not forget my favorite sport, collegiate basketball, day one. By the way, I just want to throw, before we end this, Quickly. earlier in the week you talked about how you, you saw the Chicago Marathon and, and Chinatown that was the greatest spot of diversity yes. you had ever seen. It's funny that you said that because someone that I know extremely well that was in Chinatown at the time, the exact quote from her was like, I've never seen so many white people in my life. <laughs> So it's uh, funny how you, you diversity to you and diversity yep. to them are totally. They, they just all they thought were white people. They're like, oh my god, look at all these white people. Wish I had more time to follow up on that. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, dog. Have a great weekend, fans out there. We much appreciate your listening to the program. We'll be back at you Monday and uh, review some of the baseball and football from the weekend. Dog, behave yourself. Don't get in any trouble, okay? I definitely will not behave myself, and I won't get in trouble because I never do. All right, well, one out of two is not bad. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. 10 o'clock Monday. Tell a friend.